Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to roll along here through the month of June. It's going by quick and we're getting closer and closer to what we hope will be the college football season for 2020. Not the greatest year 2020 so far, but hopefully we're going to get college football. We're going to talk about the potential for playing college football on this week on the show. We got Dan Weber and Keely Ewer going to answer some of your questions about the team. Little newsy items going around, little things, tidbits we could talk about going into this week. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for the show, please drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can give us a call or a text at two, uh, 424-254-9141. That's the number, 424-254-9141. Please subscribe, any of those podcasting platforms. But if you happen to have an Apple device, go on the Apple Podcasting app, leave us a five-star review, some kind of positive feedback there would be amazing. It really helps to grow the show. We've asked a lot of people to do that recently, and and many of you have uh, have done that, so we appreciate that. I don't know, Keely, if we got any uh, recent ones that you see out there that, uh, that you could share with us? I feel like you're setting me up every time you ask me. <laughs> you never warned me, Ryan. Yeah, so you know what? We've got to keep on your toes, you know? Apparently, yeah. as soon as I can look it up, I will. I will get back to you, Ryan. But well, so we I can't got, tell you off my head. Well, you know, just just got to be ready. Like this is, you know, I've got a host, okay. I got to produce, I got to record. So you just got to be ready with the data. When I go, just go to that's Keely Yor. Follow up, by the way, you can follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. Been doing a great job here on the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, Keely started off as an intern her sophomore year at I USC, did. and that was what 15 years ago, Keely. How long has it been? <laughs> It feels like forever ago. Hey, I pulled up the reviews. We do have one new one from HNL Trojan who says, fight on for the Parastyle crew, always waiting for the next episode. So thank you, yeah. HNL Trojan. Yeah, thank you for that one. And we also got Dan Weber on the line. He's been covering the Trojans since the early 2000s and uh, been with us, well, more than 10 years, right, Dan? How long have we been together? It's been uh, a while. 10. Yeah, 10. Pretty much uh, uh, 2010. Uh, which has a ring, I guess, that 10-year anniversary for a lot of things maybe uh, that we might, might end up talking about. But, yeah, I, I did the 2002 uh, first team, and uh, uh, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, I think my, the first uh, Angels, I used to do uh, Angels in the summer, uh, and Dodgers, and even the Padres for the Riverside Press Enterprise. And the first year I was covering the Angels, they win the World Series. And then <laughs> covered USC and, you know, first year with the uh, Heisman Trophy for Carson. And they end up maybe the best team in the country by the end of the year. But uh, I've been, been very fortunate to be in the right place, uh, you know, at the right time. All right. Uh, well, we're going to jump into a lot of different topics today. A few newsy items, answer some of your questions. Before we do, just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been so great to us, especially during these difficult times of the coronavirus quarantine. If you want to go to TraderJoe's.com, you can get some good ideas. I like going and checking out some of the recipes. So like say, mm, I want to, what do I want to do for lunch? This one kind of stuck out to me. Um, it's the double elote crispy chicken tender. So 
It's double elote because they have this uh, seasoning blend called everything but elote, which is great. And you're going to mix that in like a breading with these chicken tenders you buy from Trader Joe's. But you're also going to take a bag of the organic elote corn chips, the corn chip dippers, and you crush those up uh, in a food processor. So it's kind of this double elote seasoning on this. The picture on the on the website looks amazing. Um, you can put a little lime there. You got some... Uh, uh, you got the zest of lime. You got the sriracha ranch dipping uh, sauce. So, man, it looks awesome. Make sure you check it out. So you can go to TraderJoe's.com and uh, look for some different recipe ideas. But they've been awesome to us during the quarantine and for the last few years. So we appreciate them being a sponsor. And, guys, since we last talked, uh, there has been a little bit of news. Um, we heard from the Pac-12 saying that they were going to allow – programs to get out uh, on the 15th and start, you know, on, you know, working out on campus. Um, but we also heard uh, from USC President Carol Folt, Keely, maybe we'll start with you, uh, that students are going to be back on campus in the fall. That was like one of the big potential roadblocks. If How could you have football if students aren't going to be back on campus? Well, at least at USC, we know students will be back. Yeah, no, I think that was the biggest thing. And we heard Mike Bone, the athletic director, talk about it. You can't have uh, sports student athletes without students on campus. So it seems like a positive step forward. But there's a lot of uh, ifs and buts in there. Uh, Careful didn't address that L.A. County still has like a uh, restriction on mass gatherings, which I would assume classrooms and a whole campus would be a mass gathering. But uh, she did say that they're adjusting like we've seen other colleges do adjusting the schedule uh usc will start a week earlier than originally scheduled and then the final exams will end by thanksgiving so just shifting up the schedule and of course you're gonna have to have uh, face coverings hand sanitizer there's gonna be a lot of rules but she didn't say uh anything about uh, student athletes yet she said that the ncaa and pac-12 are still working things out as we know so no no news on that front as far as sports, but I think it was a as we know a big step forward that USC is having in person classes. Yeah, what do you think, Dan? Well, I think they better start working it out pretty quickly. Uh, USC, the good news was uh, they had originally said that maybe by the end of June uh, they would uh, have that decision. I think they got the fear of the Lord in them. I mean, and they basically came out with it four weeks earlier than they could have at the end of June. And uh, as far as working it out, the PAC 12 basically worked it out in this, in this fashion saying um, you can bring everybody start, uh, can bring them back starting June 15th. That's a week later than the SEC uh, who started June 8th on, uh, on, on yesterday, basically. And um, uh, the issue is, all 14 uh, SEC teams are bringing their uh, student athletes back, brought them back yesterday. Pac-12 said June 15th, and yet right now only five of the 12 Pac-12 schools have even decided, uh, you know, to come back. Uh, the other seven, uh, all four California schools, and Washington, Washington State, and uh, Oregon State, I believe, are the seven who haven't decided when they're going to bring their athletes back. And uh, that, that just seems to be a problem as far as I'm concerned. I, I, it you would think that the athletes would be far better in a far better place on campus with 
their own with nutritionists and strength and conditioning people and the medical testing and the trainers and all that that they would have to work with and in kind of a you know a protected area with all those great facilities then still being back home somewhere and trying to you know figure out how do I you know do a bench press or whatever and all of that I, I just I'm a little puzzled by the the inability of the Pac-12 to get its act together here. Uh, of, of the 65 Power 5 schools, uh, 14 have not decided when, where, how they're coming back. Of those 14, seven are in the Pac-12. That's just, again, you know, I know uh, A.D. Bone has really tried to preach that, hey, you know, the Pac-12, California, we're not that far behind. It's not as bad as everybody's portraying it. And we're get, we've got our act together. And yet, you know, after he says that, then you come in and it turns out that to this point, they don't have their act together yet in terms of saying, here's when we're going to start. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, I know they've done a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of you know thought has gone into what's going to happen at USC and how, how is it going to happen? But, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, actually, you know, doing that or communicating it, uh, we don't hear anything yet. And that's probably not a good thing. No, I agree. I think I, so I did the PAC 12 podcast yesterday. If you want to check it out, the podcast of champions. So Oregon did announce, uh, it was going to be, a, a you know, a kind of gradual approach, but they were going to be able to come back on June 15th. I think Washington was close to doing that. And there were, I know some other schools, but yeah, the, the California schools, they haven't got there yet. And some of it might have to do with the, you know, the, the, the state politics going on and the, you know, whatever the counties that the different schools reside in, you know, Los Angeles County, or I guess Marin County up there. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit different. You have to be able to go with whatever the counties say as well. Um, I thought by now, Dan, where it's today, we're recording this on June 9th. With June 15th being the first potential day, you figure there can't be out too many more days if you're going to get close to June 15th. You know, I mean, is it going to be a week after that? Is it going to be two weeks after that? We know USC's opening opponent, Alabama, is already starting their workout. So it's one of those things, Dan, where I don't think you want to get too far behind. And we're just getting close to that date. And you would think that there at least some kind of announcement of here's the plan of when we're going to have students come back. Well, complicating that further is the SEC schools didn't actually start that sort of semi-practice, uh, not practice player voluntary workouts and all that yes, till yesterday. But many of them had their athletes back the week before for testing and to see where, and that's how we knew, you know, that five Alabama players tested positive uh, for COVID-19 because they were testing them last week. So if you decide we'll bring them back on the 15th, you're really not going to get started because you've got a lot of preliminary stuff to do to see where your athletes are, you know, health-wise, strength-wise, you know, obviously COVID-19-wise uh, and all that. So, so yeah, I think, I think you know, this is, a, this is a problem. For example, the Pac-12 this year, this was going to be the year the Pac-12 was saying, we're going to make an impression on people. We're not going to be in a, dry, in a drop in behind and having everybody think that we're the fifth out of the, out of the Power Five. So USC plays Alabama. Uh, uh, Michigan uh, is, comes in to play Washington. Uh, Utah's got their tip, uh, traditional BYU game at the beginning of the year again. 
And uh, then in week two, Oregon plays Ohio State. So it's pretty important right now for the Pac-12 to be getting ready comparably to the people they're playing. For example, Oregon did say they're going to start June 15th, but Ohio State started June 8th. So now they're already a week behind Ohio State. Uh, uh, Michigan, I'm trying to think what their start date is, but at least they have a start date. Uh, Washington does not. And then Alabama, obviously, they've started, and USC doesn't have a start date. So for those early, and uh, Brigham Young, they're not in a conference. They started June 1st. Yeah, so they're going to get Utah with probably two weeks. Well, Utah can't start till June fifteenth. Brigham Young, their big rival and their opening opponent, uh, started June first. So the Pac-12s kind of put themselves, as they ha- often tend to do, behind the eight ball a little bit here for the start of football season. Yeah, I don't know, Keely. What do you think? Did you, did you feel like this would have been? Uh, you'd hear some kind of announcement now, or you, is there any worry there that? it's going to be significantly later than June 15th? I mean, I think as Dan has alluded to, we all expected the Pac-12, specifically the California schools, to be later. So for me, I'm not really surprised. I think the hope is that they're taking longer because they're trying to get everything exactly nailed down and not kind of just winging it as they go along. But I don't know. I mean, I think... I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that everything's kind of going back to quote unquote normal, even though cases are still rising of coronavirus. So to me, I'm still kind of mentally behind. So I understand why USC would be. But at the same time, as far as a football stance, I I think that obviously the Pac-12 needs to start getting its act together because it looks like the rest of the the conference or the rest of the NCAA is trying to get going and, and is already getting going so I don't know I'm, I go back and forth I'm more conservative I think everyone has been listening to me on this podcast didn't I didn't even think that college football would happen this year so I'm still trying to get my head around all of this to be honest okay I don't want to be I don't want to be like that guy uh I don't want to you know I don't yeah. want to get all the hate mail I don't want people to tell me you're killing grandma I, I'm over it guys I'm I'm over it I'm I'm done <laughs> I, you know, uh, it's just, I'm done. Like I'm okay, going to live my life at this point. And so, you're not, you're not the only one. No. I think, okay, I think guys. you're in a party of, uh, many, many thousands. Yeah. Like there, you can only ask people to do so much and you've asked us to do a lot. You know, we get mixed messages out of like the world health organization saying that one day it's, you know, you can't catch, you can't, you know, uh, transmit it if you're asymptomatic. And then the next day they're backing off of that. Like, People just don't know. I, I I think at this point I'm just ready to like go out there and live my life. I actually sat at a bar, guys, I, on Friday night. I was night. shocked to see that. I saw the photos, Ryan. I was shocked. <laughs> it was open. It wasn't. It wasn't a speakeasy. This was a legal way to go in there. Um, sit down. You're sitting at a table. It's not like you're at standing at a bar. You're sitting at a table with your friends that you're, you know, in your group and uh, up to six people at a table. The tables are far apart, so you're not near anyone else. You're not getting up. The waitress is with a, you know, mask coming on and giving you your food and drinks and stuff. I'm just kind of ready to move on. I want USC to make some kind of announcement. Like everyone else is doing it. If something happens, you know, there's five Alabama players tested positive. They're still rolling forward. Um, If something horrible happens, you got to shut down. You got to shut down. But I don't want to see USC and the rest of the Pac-12 on the sidelines when other people are opening things up. So just, you know, I get you want to be cautious. But guys, I'm done. Just just schedule the stuff. Start people working out. You're safe. The players are safer on campus anyway, like Dan was saying. 
I'm over this. Just go forward and get the guys on campus. And the hard thing to do is, let's say you're the mayor of LA and you say, see that guy paddleboarding out there? How many hundred feet from uh, from the uh, beach? He's got to be arrested because he's a threat <laughs> to the health. Oh, wait, there's 20,000 people on Santa Monica Boulevard in four blocks. Oh, that's OK. No problem. Let him go. That's the kind of mixed messaging that people who are make, you know, calling the shots on this whole deal where people just say, and I'm trusting that person to make the right call about USC or you know, the Coliseum or anything, I, there, there's very little credibility among the people who have make have been making all the calls to this point. I mean, they've lost it, unfortunately. They don't have any. Yeah. All I'm going to say is that you can't just decide you're over it. I think the, the pandemic still will do what it wants to do despite your feelings. And sure. if, you look at, if you look at Arizona, that's a state that kind of was just like, hey, free for all, go for it, come back. And now if you're looking at the data and the hospitals, the hospitals are now overwhelmed. It's at a point where you can see how a couple weeks later after letting everyone go back to normal, it doesn't seem like it's the right call just from the sense of like how the hospitals are responding to things. So that's all I'm going to say. That's the Arizona has kind of been the guinea pig for better or for worse, and and it looks like they're they're already uh, overwhelmed in the ICUs and whatnot. So that's all I'm gonna say. Gonna that's say. where the California people all went, unfortunately, for Arizona. They, yeah. I mean, it is a it is an issue, and I know people say the hospitals were overwhelmed, but even in New York City, they didn't ever have a single patient who couldn't get a you know a ventilator. I'm not sure now they're looking at it and saying you know. That whole ventilator thing was probably a, a bad idea, putting people on ventilators for this disease and all that. I mean, we're learning an awful lot about, you know, this disease. One of the things they're learning is the uh, strains of, of COVID-19 seem to be getting weaker and weaker. Uh, and they also know that they literally can't find somebody of college age anywhere who's died of COVID-19. I mean, literally zero uh, you know, people. So, you know, how do you how do you do that for you know you shut down every college in America for a disease that isn't threatening a, almost a single student in a in a serious way? Obviously, you got faculty and staff, and you know that's a different situation. Or you got uh, and, and then you got the whole asymptomatic. If, if you know the big threat was well, if people can have it and you don't even know they've got it and they can give it to grandma, uh, that's really a bad thing. But if then some of the data now is showing that maybe, who knows, can you or can't you, you know, infect somebody else if you're asymptomatic? That's a big deal. If you can't, um, then basically you only look for the people who have all the, you know, symptoms and you, you know, you isolate them. Again, you wish we to work this out more at, at this point in time, but uh we don't know what we don't know an awful lot. And, and you wish people wouldn't maybe make absolute decisions that are going to, you know, put 40 million people out of work without enough information to, to really maybe do that. I mean, that's, that was a, that's a big deal to put 40 million people out of work yeah. and then say, uh, well, we're not really sure. Maybe, I, I don't know. Hey, come on. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to complain about decisions that were made. There's people making decisions with not all the right, you know, there's going to be things we believed about the virus that were true that aren't. There's things that, you know, we thought weren't true that would be. Um, there's going to be all of that. You know, you can second guess all you want. I just at this point, 
it's been three, four months, whatever. I'm over it. That's just my personal feeling. If you have any issue with that, you can tweet my manager at Keely is my name. <laughs> let me know. Like, let, let her know what you feel. And, uh, and she will uh, take care of that for the, you. The other thing is, if Ryan says that or I say that, I'm probably way more likely to say that. We're not bad people. Okay. We might disagree. But really, we're not, you know, downgrading anybody. We're not downgrading the protesters or grandma or anything. We just disagree. And and we can disagree. It's okay. And we can see things differently. Obviously, you know, we may not dis- may not agree with Keeley here. But that doesn't mean, you know, we can't talk it out. And that doesn't mean we think, you know, the person we disagree with is a bad person. I think too quickly we do that nowadays where you don't agree with me. You're a, you know, the odd hominem, uh, you know, argument is made because maybe you don't always want to answer the facts or as somebody else sees the facts or the data. And so you want to just say, well, you're a bad guy. I'm not going to have to listen to you. You just don't know what's going on. No. I just see things differently from the way you do. And that's okay. Yeah. No, we could definitely all see things differently. Me and Keely see this differently. I'm just ready yeah. to be to move it on. I'm not complaining <laughs> about anyone. Go out there, do whatever you want. <laughs> and then send a tweet to Keely is my name and we'll take care of it. Well, in, um, in, in some ways, people have decided to go out and do what they think is the right thing to do and what they want to do. And, you know, we saw that with the, you know, with the George Floyd, uh, you know, the protest about his murder and all of that. And people have said, no, this is too important and we're going to go out and do it. And so you come to a point where people kind of start making their own decisions about what's the right thing to do. And at this point, I think each individual decision is probably just as valid as the so-called experts, uh, you know, view of things the way the way it's been going. I actually got tested today, folks, too. Um, yeah, I did it once. Uh, so LA, the day L.A. County opened up for free testing for everyone, I signed up, and it was at the Crenshaw Christian Center, and it took, like, probably two hours total. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing that again. But there's one, like, right near my house in Redondo Beach that's just down the street, and I had a friend that went through it, and they're like, yeah, dude, it's five minutes. So I'm like, okay. So I signed up yesterday, and I went through it today. And, yeah, literally, like, five minutes. There was, like, maybe four of us, five of us waiting in line. Uh, I mean, just in your cars and, uh, you put, this was a, no, the first one I did was a throat test. This one was a, no, a nostril test, which is so kind of uncomfortable. Like, it's not all the way back. This one. I mean, they, it, like, you, they said, go back to where you, until you get resistance. So they weren't like okay. jamming up. I mean, but it, it still was uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, but you do like 10 seconds on each nostril. You put it in the little vial, break it off, screw it on the top, put it in a baggie, seal it up and you just throw it in this little bucket and you're out of there. How long um, uh, before do you get the results on that one? It's supposed to be like two to four days. Um, yeah. So the last time it took like a week at least. This one should go a little faster because, I mean, that was a, a huge line. There was a zillion tests. Um, this one shouldn't be as bad. Um, and, I, you know, I just like I don't have any symptoms or anything. I, I tweeted or whatever. I put it on my Instagram. Just I don't have any symptoms. But I do deliver like meals on wheels. So I'm like, well, I might as well just right. get tested every once in a while just to make sure. Um you know, that everything's okay. Am I feel fine? Um, but I wanted to do it. The antibody test is what I'm more curious about. And I would, I had a little, there was a little birthday gathering for a friend of mine. And, um, one of the guys there had actually had it, had like two and a half weeks of like kind of a bad flu basically. And he has the antibodies and stuff now. So it was kind of interesting to talk to him, but 
Um, you know, yeah. you wish you wish you knew for sure whether having the antibodies will keep you from getting it again. They think so, but they yeah. they don't know for sure. And talking about testing, that's the thing that you really have to get right for all the schools because you know what may be the most exciting moment of every week in college football. Uh, because apparently the protocol they're thinking about is the visiting team tests uh, the entire travel squad Friday morning before they take off. And it's got to be the one, one of the instantaneous ones. And then the guys that if anybody tests positive, they don't go. So people are going to be and then both teams, apparently they're going to ask them to test Saturday morning. Uh but how exciting will it be for people to say, gee, I wonder who's on the plane when, the, when it lands, the, you know, which, which of the guys didn't make it this week? Uh, I don't know how that's all going to play out in terms of, you know, I mean, there are people who say, um, where was I the other day where, uh, uh, not Micro Center, but, um, oh, who, who was it that, uh, oh, Apple. And Apple staff, they have them like an hour apart, like an A staff and a B staff, because they don't want uh, every for if they cross over, they might have to quarantine the whole staff. But if they have have them completely separate, then um, uh, you might only have to quarantine the B staff, but not the A staff. And they're talking about that in football, where that on the Friday meeting uh, in the quarterback room. You'd only have one of your top two quarterbacks because you couldn't have a chance that both of them would come down yeah. with uh, and test positive. It, uh, it's going to really require some very fancy footwork in terms of how you mix and match uh, for practice and for meetings and all that. I mean, really, there, there are people who say uh, on Friday or Thursday, Friday, you're going to try to keep the quarterback away from almost everybody, how you practice and do that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, if you got like key people, it's sort of like you don't want them to get injured. Like you put a yellow jersey on the quarterback. Well, it's getting close to game time. You can't let that quarterback hang around anybody because if he gets sick, you're screwed. You know. So yeah, that all that stuff is going to be interesting. And all I'm saying, Keely, I'm not saying you know. Look, I, a lot of this is tongue in cheek. But if if other programs are doing it at this point, I, I think you just have to kind of go with it. Like, well, we should probably do this too. Um, if there's something bad happens, we back, you can always back off. Uh, if something bad happens, you know, pretty much in the next couple of weeks in the next, you know, month or two, it's probably going to delay the start of the football season or put it in danger. So I think at, at this point, you just have to kind of go forward, start your workouts, you know, get people back on campus, which I think is going to be safer anyway. You'll know the testing results of everybody, get them around things and get them better care than they would get if they were just in their homes by themselves. So I, I think this is a kind of a unique situation and I, I'm just a little disappointed that we don't even at least have a date yet for USC. And I'm, I'm here's my, my take on how you look at things. For example, I'm not, you know, the glass is half full guy. I'm the guy that says, you know, we can figure this out. We can get it done. When the news came out last week that five Alabama players had tested positive and I would say most of the reaction is, Oh my gosh, what's this going to do to college football, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, those five guys for sure are going to be playing against USC because they're going to be <laughs> healthy. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to have the antibodies and 
And so that's my take. I'm thinking like Nick Saban's probably thinking is, ah, good. These guys will all be ready in, you know, 10 days or two weeks or whatever. And they'll be good to go. And we won't have to worry about testing them on Friday. They're ready. Okay. So there are different ways to approach this. You know, it's not all gloom and doom. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is like just we've been talking about testing teams and, and players in waves, but just how we've seen like even like a stomach bug pass through a team, it happens pretty rapidly and it happens across the board. So I wonder if one player did get it, say, in fall camp. What if just the team gets it, gets over it, and then you kind of are good to go for the rest of the season? I know that's a very simplistic uh, view of things, but maybe if you have oh, yeah. it earlier, like Alabama, maybe you're set rather and have it spread like we've seen sicknesses spread before. Are you better off if somehow it happens earlier than later? Obviously, right? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking aloud right now. Keely, it's a, it's a really good point, too, because yeah, especially really. like Dan talked about, it's just we haven't seen college age kids uh, pass away from this. And I, so if you have a whole bunch of guys on your team and they're not like asthmatic, maybe they don't have any of those conditions, which probably most of the players wouldn't. Back in the day, uh, parents would have like, oh, uh, little Johnny down the street has chicken pox. Everyone go play with Johnny so you all get the chicken pox. Like that's what would happen just so you could all get it and it's all done and then you move on. For these guys that there's really not the same kind of health risk that, that maybe someone else that's a little bit older and not as in shape would. I mean, I don't know, man. That, like, I could see Nick Saban doing that. Like, everyone, <laughs> right? go hang out with those five guys. We're all going <laughs> to get sick. You'll be done in two weeks, and then we're going to roll forward. Well, and then and it'll be like, well, we don't even have to test our guys. Hey, they're all, you know, they've got immunity now. We've got herd immunity, uh, which would be interesting because they're – uh, their mascot is a big elephant. So uh, the Crimson Tide and the, um, uh, that, I don't know if you've ever noticed that their logo is an elephant. So they might be the first place where they would get herd immunity would be uh, be Alabama. Okay, I know that's going too far, but. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, we had, a, so one other topic and then we can jump into some questions. So it's David uh, Helljoint, I believe it is, from ESPN, tweeted this out this morning, and I wanted to uh, share this because I thought this was a little bit interesting, especially the way USC's offense performed last year. It was so much better. But he put out a list of the rate of punts inside plus territory. So basically, if you cross the 50, what is the rate of you punting versus going for it on fourth down. So you're already in an opponent territory. So there's it's not like you're backed up. So you're you're in plus territory. Do you go for it more than you punt from inside plus territory? Unfortunately for USC, they're on the wrong side of this list of the least aggressive. So there's ECU, who they've had 16 punts inside uh, plus territory, and only seven times did they go for it on fourth down. Uh, Ohio University, 15 and 9. Uh, TCU punted 18 times in opponent territory and, uh, and went for it 12 times and USC was next on the list. They punted 14 times after crossing the 50 and only went for it, uh, 10, um, weird, like a school like Navy was one of the most aggressives. Uh, they only punted four times in opponent territory and they went for it 34 times. And they're a running offense. It's not even like a passing offense. So I thought that was kind of See, interesting. I, I think that's the key. Navy can run the ball. So when you get into fourth down and plus territory, you say, I'm going to run the darn thing and, and we're going to get the first down. But and maybe you, on you, third down, you'd say it's third and six. We'll run the ball for three or four, and then we right. can run the ball for two. Right. They're whereas not trying to US, pick it all up in one. Yeah. Whereas USC says, 
hey, we can't run the ball at all. So we're screwed, and we maybe don't want to take a chance on throwing it. Uh, and you have to be able to – that really makes the point, I think, that you have to be able to run the football. And you got to be able to run it, when you know, especially you get into plus territory, you know, or you get anywhere near that you're going to have four downs. Uh, so the run game must improve. The offensive line must improve. Okay, they've got the excuse last year that, you know, the running backs all got hurt. But uh, they got to come out of, of fall camp able to run the ball and they got to be able to run it against Alabama. I mean, you got to be able to run the football. I always thought when you went back and looked at Pete Carroll's teams, once Justin Fargus got healthy and they could run the football, everything changed in that 2002 season. Once he got healthy, uh, you know, you just you weren't going to stop him because then they could obviously they could throw it with Carson Palmer. But uh, uh, if this team can run the ball. Uh, boy, that, but that's a great, uh, that's a great stat. Uh, so the USC was fifth from the bottom, I guess, and, and least aggressive, uh, um, they're fourth, yeah. fourth from the bottom. That's just horrible. Horrible. Yeah. That's just, it, it says everything you want to say about how USC practices, uh, and they can't practice that way anymore. You've got to be able to pound the ball in there in a serious way where you've got some, uh, confidence and uh and your run game and uh and and i guess the second part of that was they were so fascinated with uh uh ben griffith's uh ability to you know control the short punts they didn't trust him on the long punts but they wanted to see him kick it up high and kick it down inside the 10 so i think they had a tendency uh you know baxter had a tendency to want to try that more often than maybe he should have but if you don't trust your run game you know, it's hard to hard to do it anywhere. And USC didn't and, and shouldn't have the way they ran the ball. Keely, is that shocking to you at all? I, I didn't realize USC had punted that much uh, inside opponent territory. I mean, I remember the whole Ben Griffiths thing. That's why I was going to add on the dance point. I'm really curious to see next year's numbers just to see at all if it's a, a John Baxter type of influence stat or if it has some more do with the running backs injuries and how confident they were in running the ball. So I, part of me, my gut feel thinks that this was a John Baxter influenced stat where he was very pro Ben Griffiths and, and kind of in held his ear in that way. So I'm, I'm very curious to compare next year's numbers just to see how that goes. Yeah. I think he was pro all of those things, but he was also pro to that was one thing he thought they could definitely do with the pooch punts. They would get coverage. You don't have as much field to cover. And uh, you had you know, Ben, who got uh, a great deal of height on the ball. So I thought that was a chance for, you know, if you can't, for the special teams people who said, yeah, we can't cover kickoffs. Yeah, you know, but we will cover pooch punts. You know, let us try. And so I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. there's probably a little bit of both of that. But, I, you know, there was someone on Twitter. I forget who retweeted this but it was uh someone from the ap i believe but um i saw and the usc fan uh, responded and was like hey where, where's that coming from is that is that a john baxter thing is it a clay helton thing and the going forward or not ultimately comes down to the head coach's decision but it, there's collaborative effort and we do know that john baxter had a lot of influence there and that was one of the big criticisms we had was how much influence he did have and how much um, you know, the resources that he could command as a special teams coordinator, even though USC special teams were below average at best, 
Um, and this might be a situation where, you know, he could convince Clay Helton. They're like, hey, we can really pin him deep. Ben's really good at this and, and, and let him do it. As opposed to the math tells you, you should be going for it more. I mean, if you did any of the analytical stuff, you should, you get in the plus territory. I mean, you could make an argument. There's math involved that says you should never punt, you know? Um, and so to punt more than you go for it is not, I don't think that's a, a smart move. And a couple of like Pitt was up there. They had a, they were 16 punts for 11, uh, attempts. Penn state was in the top 10. They had 20 punts inside opponent territory, but they went for it 18 times. Georgia was up there. Uh, 11 and 10 LSU, they were nine for nine. So they were about an even mix, but, um, USC shouldn't be, you know, where you're going for it, you know, 25% more or whatever than, than you're not like, they, I mean, you're punting 25% more than you're not. That, that shouldn't be the case, but you got to come out of practice with confidence in your run game. And USC did not have any confidence because they knew how they practice and they don't, they didn't practice to knock people off the ball. They didn't practice to run it up in there. Uh, you know, so when you get to game day and you realize, wow, they know we're probably going to run this in short yardage. Um, and we can't do that. I mean, that, that's the whole, the different mindset that they have to have this year is not, we're, we're not going to trick them. We're not going to fake them. We're not going to, no, we're going to line up and we're going to knock you off the line of scrimmage and we'll run the ball when we need to. And, uh, th that's not been the mindset for the last few years. And, um, uh, that has to change. Yeah. Uh, all righty. Well, I, why don't, you know, let's do this. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come right back and, uh, start answering some of your questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We got some questions to get to. Uh, not too many today, but we got some. Um, Keely, you want to... Uh, Roll along. We have one voicemail, so we'll get to it, whatever you want. But uh, any emails you want to start with? Let's start off with an email from Adam Bradford, class of 2023. He says, hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. I just went back and watched the Petros Papadakis interview from last week. 
While I understand his argument that USC cannot regain national prominence and respect without going out and hiring a big-name head coach, I respectfully disagree with him. Remember, Pete Carroll wasn't exactly a big name when he came to USC, and look at what he was able to do. The same goes for Coach, a- coach O at LSU, Davo Sweeney at Clemson, and even Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. In other words, while you can, be absolute, while you can ac- absolutely succeed by going out and hiring the Urban Myers of the world, history shows that there are certainly other ways to win. What are your thoughts on this? In particular, I'm curious about how you think it pertains to USC, should Clay Helton be fired, and Mike Bone would have to go and hire a new head coach. Sincerely, Adam, class of 2023. Yeah, Adam is correct. Uh, you know, USC is the kind of place where John McKay can come in, uh, an assistant from uh, Oregon, and have a, a really rough couple of years and come really close to being fired and then win the national championship in his third year. I mean, it's USC. USC, you know, it's kind of different. And uh, so you can do that. And those you mentioned all the right names. And Dabo didn't have an easy start at Clemson. And, and it took him a – I'm trying to think how many years it took him to f- finally get things going. Uh, and Lincoln Riley obviously wasn't, you know, you know, somebody that everybody knew. I mean, those guys were on the staff uh, in, in those places. Uh, what you have to do is you have to know that that is the right guy. On, on the staff. And, and, you know, Alabama had the ability to go out and hire, you know, Nick Saban. And, and obviously, you know, there are teams that, that do have that ability. But uh, I think USC ought to be the place where a guy can, uh, you know, can figure it out because you can get enough talent and you've got enough history and you've got a lot going for you here. And, and you know, the question is, uh, as it's always going to be, was did you get the right guy? Was was Clay the right guy? Was was Lane Kiffin the right guy? Was, you know, Steve Sarkeesian the right guy? You know, the record book probably says maybe not. Uh, you know, did they have the right guy in Ed Orgeron and they told him no? You know, I mean, if Ed Orgeron, for example, would have been the pick, uh, you could have said, you know, that there's another case of a guy who uh, was on the staff, got his chance and, and blossomed. And unfortunately, Ed... You know, for USC's sake, Ed goes to LSU eventually, and that's where he gets the chance to blossom and win a national championship. So, uh, but I think Adam is, is correct. At USC, just because they haven't done it in the last decade doesn't mean you can't do it at USC. You absolutely can, uh, you know, do it at USC with the right guy. Yeah, and I think in this situation, um, the way USC's hired over the last you know, 10 years or so, I think you have to get some kind of a proven coach at this point because you've tried the USC person that doesn't have a whole lot of experience and let's bring that person in, Uh, you know, like people that are tied to the program already. I think you got to get away from that. Like you've done that too much. Go out and try to get the biggest name you possibly can. If it's, you know, if it's something where you're like, Hey, we're going to hire like a PJ Fleck, who's been good at a couple of different spots, won a bunch of games and recruited well. Um, sure. I mean, I, I get that, but if you could get the, the proven national champ championship winner type of guy too, I think you have to try to do it. Um, so I, I, yeah. I think that's where USC is right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you could hire urban Meyer, if you would hire urban Meyer, you hire urban Meyer. I mean, it's not even a, yep. you, know, you don't think about that for even a, a nanosecond, you know? Nope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you just do it. Yeah. So, uh, thanks, uh, Adam, for uh, for that question. Class of 2023. Mm-hmm. So, what is he? So, yeah. he's a 
He's a freshman, I, was, I guess. I was 2017, so like it was wow. Really he yeah. didn't. He didn't even get to finish out his whole first year this year, unfortunately for wow. Adam. Crazy. Uh, on the topic of hiring, we have a, a question from Brett C. from Knoxville, who says, uh, if the season does play and USC doesn't play well, where does Mike Bone pull the trigger during which part of the season? Keep up the great work. Thanks and fight on. Wow, so we're back to these kind of questions again. We, we kind of got away right. from them for a little yeah. while. That's, that's how you know things are getting back to quote unquote normal. We're yeah. getting these questions. Yeah, that's way, 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 way too hypothetical uh, of a question without you know you got to know the results and uh, yeah, there's so many things that would play into that um and to even begin to try to guess how that might play out is way past anybody's uh, ability to read the future i mean you just you just have no idea so but if you look at the schedule what what could possibly play out so okay so if if you're talking about so his question is assuming that Clayhold could be fired during the season. So that'd be the third coach in a row USC fired middle of the season. Well, do you think that Mike Bone is a I'm going to fire a coach mid-season type of guy, given what we've know. seen so far? I'm it's, not sure I would say that. I think it's hard to say at this point. But like, it's, I think for that to happen, I think bad things would need to happen, like pretty bad. So get blown up by Alabama, that's normal. You know, um, you're going to beat New Mexico. <laughs> Stanford's not that good. But do you lose a close one on the road at Stanford? Because I don't think they're going to be very good this year. They're four and eight last year. They didn't get rid of anyone on that coaching staff. Uh, ASU, the up and comer. So ASU would probably have to beat you. Um, and so they're like the other person in the South that people are going to, you know, the two teams that are probably be picked in the South. And the other, the other top team in the South is Utah. So, uh, you know, maybe you lose to Alabama badly. You beat New Mexico. Say you squeak by Stanford, but you lose to ASU at home. And then on the road at Utah, you get Cal at home and they're like a, a sleeper pick. So you start losing like three or of those first four Pac-12 games and you lose to Alabama. You go on the road to Arizona and then you have a bye week that maybe the bye week would be the thing where you're maybe two and four in the Pac-12 and you've lost Alabama. So it's like a, a three and five record going into the bye week. Could you see them pulling the trigger then if something like that happens? Yeah, I mean, somebody else on the st- honestly, I think in that case, somebody else on the staff would finish out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you could possibly. Uh, you have to show some attempt at writing the ship, and you you've already you know done everything you can possibly do with Clay in terms of uh, you know keeping him, then in terms of of getting all the support staff, uh, in terms of you know t- turning over the coaching staff. Uh, and you know, your, your pick number 16 in the country, the last, the last pick we've seen, you've got a lot of enthusiasm going, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't think he could, Clay could survive that, uh, somebody else on the staff would, would be the head coach. I'm not sure who that would be, but, yeah. uh, somebody else would finish the season out. We, and, you know, we've already said, USC's done that twice in, in you know, back-to-back coaches, and, and maybe in the history of uh, of, the, of Division One, that may not have ever happened. If USC would do that three times in the same, uh, and basically, uh, what would that be? How many uh, years? Uh, eight over eight or nine years, whatever. If you did that three times, that would be so astonishingly 
crazy uh, uh, that that you would have to do that. Uh, I mean, nobody's yeah. had to just do that. Just poor leadership. Nobody, uh, just in every way possible. And unfortunately for Bone, you know, he's the one that's certainly tagged with, you know, you took 11 days and decided Clay was the guy you were coming back with. And whether that was on Bone or, you know, the people that Bone reports to, um, you know, he'd have to live with it. That would be a very tough uh, start for, for Mike Bone if that ha- if that happened. I don't think it will. Uh, but the fact that we don't think it will, if it does, boy, yeah. is that tough. Yeah, I think the most likely scenario is like, you know, you go into that bye week with, say, a loss to Alabama. Maybe you lose on the road to Utah, for example. And um, so, you know, say you're like five and, and uh, was it be five and two or whatever going into that stretch. Um, and then you got five games left. The problem is of those five games you got, you know, after the bye week, you're on the road at Oregon. You got Notre Dame at home and Washington at home, so there's a, you know certainly some potential for for losses there. So I to me, if there is a change and if Clay Hilton is is not going to be the coach going into 2021, me looking at the schedule to me it's most likely going to be after the season, just because of the early part of the schedule. I, it's hard for me, you know, USC so talented. It's just hard for me to see them losing that amount of games but if they if they did you know if they lost to some of those you know the, the tough teams in the south and and get blown out by alabama or something uh yeah that's going to be a big problem uh, what do you think keely what what are your thoughts on that well the reason why i ask about whether or not bone is a fire in mid-season type of guy is because so far we've seen that he pays attention to optics whereas the athletic directors prior to, <laughs> didn't really care about the optics they kind of just did what they wanted to do so i feel like for the reasons dan stated Firing another coach midseason would look very poorly on USC. It would look bad. But I wonder if he would view this season in a vacuum or if he would take into account the fact that he did get a lot of blowback after the last decision he made. And the last decision he made can be maybe excused if you look at it in a certain way and given when he came in and how much time he had to to make a decision as a new athletic director. But this one would be on him because he has time now as uh, it would be like how many months into the into the job? So I don't know whether or not he would view it in a vacuum or if he would feel the pressure from last time creeping back in. I don't know. I don't know where he would stand, but I feel like given the fact that they care about optics and they want to look like they're strong leaders, I feel like they would wait at the end of the season unless it was very, very bad, like yeah. 2018 bad. Other than that, I think they would wait to the end of the season. Yeah. You know, the other thing is if if you have the bad scenario that Ryan, you know, played out, I can't imagine what shape would the coaching staff be in. I can't picture a number of those guys accepting uh, the 2018 season. I, 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 I have it hard to think about how would that coaching staff be dealing with one another if they were – uh, you know, having that kind of a season. I, I just almost can't even picture that in my mind, how that would play out with these, uh, with Dante Williams and Todd Orlando and, you know, um, Craig Nivar and Vic, you know, Soto and all those guys. How how would they, you know, put up with that? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Hey, Dan, that's we, a great segue because we got a question from our buddy Curtis about all of those, uh, those uh, coaches you mentioned. Okay. So let me play it for you. <laughs> Hey, Ryan, it's Curtis from Moreno Valley. I want to get into the defensive assistant coach's success 
or lack of success in the past. I heard Dante Williams had success with his DBs at Oregon, probably because they were all really four and five stars that he was recruiting from L.A. But what about the the linebacker coaches, the, the safety coaches, the defensive line coach? How, how were their players at the schools that they came from? Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, I think uh, in one way we kind of shortchanged uh, Dante Williams because we look at his success at Oregon. The thing that makes me encouraged about him so much is he put three guys from San Jose State into the NFL. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, if you can find kids and get them, you know, at a at a program like San Jose State to get three guys into the NFL. That's absolutely, and they're still there. That's amazing. So uh, I think, you know, everything you look at with, with Dante, uh, you know, says a lot of good things. Obviously, I think, you know, the, the young guy, Vic, uh, just did, did a really good job. I mean, Virginia was back last year, and that's the first time he had played in a January 1st bowl game. And, uh, and a big, a lot of the credit, uh, because Virginia was not a physical, uh, you know, tough, program and a lot of the credit for uh you know their uh you know coming around the way they have you know went to their uh their d line so uh, you know an awful lot of you know good things there obviously uh you know uh, with craig and and todd you got kind of a, you know, a team there a very aggressive uh, you know how texas did last year they had kind of the situation on defense that usc had with the running backs uh, but I know this, by the time they got everybody back, uh, when they played Utah, I guess, was it in the Alamo Bowl? I, I crushed Utah. I mean, just didn't let them, didn't let them play. Uh, and so I think they were pretty excited about how they were going to be able to, you know, move on to Texas. And then, you know, somebody had to go. Uh, so those guys kind of, I think, got lost in, you know, the shuffle at Texas. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, they're so aggressive. I just think USC had to had to start playing aggressively with the athletes USC's got. Now you got to coach them up in practice so they don't miss tackles and and they're under control and all that. But uh, you know Todd has got a defense that where ten of the eleven guys could blitz on any play. I mean that's something we haven't really you know seen a USC defense uh, do those kinds of things. So. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think, you know, when you match up USC's athletes uh, and their potential with, uh, you know, what we didn't see happen the last two years because of the way they practice, uh, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with the run game. You know, the run game wasn't physical, didn't practice that way. Uh, you know, the, uh, the defense, they, they didn't tackle, they, didn't, they weren't physical. Uh, even though you said, man, they got guys that look like they got athletes. They got enough of them out there. Uh, I thought the D-line didn't really progress and all that last year with the athletes they've got. Uh, they didn't play the edge well, and yet you looked and said, well, they got – looks like they got athletes. Why Why aren't they making plays? Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm fairly encouraged. I mean, I think they have to be better than they, you know, they were last year. But, but I think the – those guys, uh, I think they're going to push one another. I think they're they're a really competitive bunch, and I think they really understand uh, what USC football can be. Uh, you know, having grown up, uh, at least two of them in Southern California, 
and watching USC from afar and being able to say, I think I know what USC football is and this hasn't been USC football. So um, I think it's, a, I think a, a very positive pos- you know, sign of where the, uh, the new defensive staff is going to go. I'm, I'm real, I'm real enthused about those guys. Yeah, I'm pretty bullish too. It's just a bummer that we didn't get to see everything in the, uh, in spring. Uh, but hopefully, you know, my mid July, we're seeing practices and stuff again and we'll, we'll get to see, but yeah, I, I feel like it's a, it's a big upgrade of what they've done on the staff. You're seeing it on the recruiting trail and I think you're going to see it on the field too, but we got to wait. We got to wait for that because we're not on the field yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an email from Rick, uh, from La Mirada who wants to know our opinions on what will happen to USC's recruiting uh, class, the 2020 class. Once travel restrictions are eased or lifted and kids can start to take visits again. Uh, he says, do you think that the USC staff will hold together the 2021 class or lose many like they did recently? If commits fall, do you have any predictions on who would they, who they would be? I think it's totally dependent on how they play. If they come out, out of the gate and really play well, I think they're going to be in fine shape. I think, you know, the earlier you get in with these kids and if they feel like they're going to be part of something that's building and it's something that's building, uh, you know, at, at a program like USC, I think, I think it all depends on, on how they play this year. You know, if they come out and play well against Alabama and, and dominate the PAC 12, like they should, um, I think they've got a really good, uh, you know, good chance to finish strong with those guys. If they stumble around, I think, you know, those guys who have have bought into there's a new thing going at USC and these new new coaches are are aggressive and edgy and competitive and all that. That has to happen on the field. If it doesn't happen on the field, can make uh, recruiting and holding on to commit commitments uh, significantly harder. Uh, so, uh, so much, I think, of USC's recruiting class is tied into what happens on the field in the fall. Yeah, I think uh, we've seen a record number of commitments during the quarantine and the extended dead period where, you know, prospects can't take visits. The predictions usually you're know, following that are there's going to be a record number of decommitments as well. So it's not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee. Even when you sign, we see nowadays it's not a guarantee. But I think USC has to perform well on the field. There's a lot of potential talk. There's a lot of hype around the team because they've made the changes uh, in the athletic department, in the coaching staff. They're recruiting better, all those things. But if you go out and lay an egg on Saturdays this fall, it's going to be hard to keep that class together because the more games USC loses, the more talk about Clay Helton not coming back will be out there. And then that's going to be really hard to keep the recruiting class together. So, yeah, I think I, I think it's, a, it's an amazing class. They've been doing a really good job recruiting, but it's probably not going to be all sticking together. Not that everyone's going to leave, but you're going to lose some guys if you're not able to win on Saturdays. We had a similar question uh, from Renesman. I think that's who it is. That was their email name. Leave a name and I'll, I'll read it. Uh, but he wanted to know, does this staff have the personalities to keep a recruiting class together? And he also wants to know if there's any update on Corey Foreman. Well, if you read what the kids are saying, I don't have an update on, on Corey Foreman. But if you read what the kids are saying, these guys are relentless. And, uh, you know, they're not just hearing from one or two of them. They're hearing from a lot of them. And. I think, you know, I think that personality where you stay engaged with kids, uh, kids want to know that, that you care, you know, to to get involved with them and stay involved with them. And uh, I think this staff has that 
you know, has that kind of personality as a group. They just, uh, I don't think they all understood before they got here that they were all, you know, kind of the same guy on the same page and they really liked the way one another does things. And, uh, and, and uh, they like doing things together. And so, you know, I think that plays out in recruiting that, that these kids get a feeling that it's not just one coach, but it's everybody that, that's coming after them. Yeah. We have one final question, and it's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, hi, Keely, Ryan, and Dan. The 2021 recruiting commitments for USC football have been very impressive. If this staff prepares for games with tough practices the way it recruits, all Trojan fans will be satisfied with the results. Keaton Slovis appears to be the absolute best returning quarterback in the Pac-12, as well as the country. USC has a good returning QB as well, but that's about it. With the quarterback being the key position on a team and with many returning starters, USC should be in a good position to win the conference. Who do each of you feel is the greatest obstacle to USC winning the championship and which teams have a quarterback that is remotely comparable to Keaton Slovis? By the way, one of my all-time favorite Trojan quarterbacks was Rodney Pete, who unfortunately was infected with chickenpox in the weeks prior to the 1988 Notre Dame game and contributed to the defeat, which kept USC from being national champs. Fight on and win. Dan, class of 1962. P.S. Pete was recruited by Ted Tolner from Kansas City, Missouri. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so, I didn't know that. So I guess he's talking about um, obstacles to winning the Pac-12 championship, not... So we're not talking about Alabama and Notre Dame here. We're talking about which teams in the Pac-12. It was um, not clear, but I would yeah. assume so. I'm going to assume the Pac-12, and... So one benefit for USC is there aren't a lot of returning starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I mean, there's some, um, you know, you had like your Chase Garbers at Cal, uh, Jaden Daniels at ASU, but because like, you know, Utah is, is, has to replace their quarterback, uh, Oregon's replacing, you know, Herbert up there, um, you know, a couple you, know, you would think are the favorites. They won the division uh, the last couple of years. Um, I think in this situation, you're talking about, uh, Jaden Daniels at ASU because ASU is kind of like a, you know, they'll probably be picked second uh, if they do a media poll again this year in the South uh, outside of USC. I think that's a quarterback that, I mean, Utah, you still got to worry about the rest of the Pac-12, you know, Colorado bringing in Carl Durrell, the South. Uh, I'm not, you know, not really concerned about Colorado, Arizona. They just seem to be circling the drain. Um, you know, they, they couldn't figure out what to do when they had a really good quarterback. Um they got, you know, uh, Grant Gunnell now, so we'll see what he can do without, uh, you know, someone looking over his shoulder. And, you know, UCLA is UCLA. I, 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 I'm guessing this is Chip Kelly's last year. That's been a disaster. So I, when in the South, it's, it's to me, it's ASU and Jaden Daniels. But Utah is going to, you know, they, they had like seven guys drafted, but uh, they got to replace a lot of production. But they're just well coached and they develop players. So I think you, they're always going to be a threat. But I, the immediate one, I think, would be ASU. And and Jaden Daniels, and in the north, you Cal's a sleeper. I think with uh, if their offense is better, they got rid of Bo Baldwin at the offensive coordinator spot. I like Chase Garbers a lot. Oregon's gonna still be really good, even though they're replacing a bunch of guys on the offensive line and Herbert. But um, you know that's a tough-minded offensive line coach. Uh, you know, they they got probably the bet. They may be the best player in the country, the best offensive lineman in the country, and Penny Sewell. Uh, you know, and Washington's got coaching change too. Uh, they play USC in the Coliseum. I don't know. So there's a lot. I think there's there's a bunch of potential road mines. But if you're going to look at just quarterback, quarterback, um, I mean, 
I like Davis Mills coming back, but I think Stanford's going to be pretty terrible. So I would go with Jaden Daniels as the best like returning quarterback with the chance to uh, beat USC, maybe Chase Garber second. I don't know what you think, Dan. Yeah, I think, and it's interesting. USC didn't really have to play those guys uh, because of injuries. Uh, yeah, Daniels at all, and did Garber? I'm trying to remember how. how no, much I think he was. Was he, 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 got, game? he got knocked out. He got knocked out. I'm trying to remember yeah. how much he mm-hmm. played. So, I mean, I like him a lot. I like both of those guys a lot. But they're completely different kind of quarterbacks from um, Keaton. Keaton, there's nobody in the league that that has, the, you know, that kind of a, you know, classic drop back uh, with, obviously, there wasn't a freshman in the country that had his accuracy. Uh, and uh, so he's different. And he's got a a way better supporting cast in terms of people can catch the ball. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, USC is in pretty good shape. I mean, they're going to have to be able to be athletic enough on the edge uh, to contain uh, Daniels and Garber. But, uh, but I think, you know, uh, we don't know what, what Oregon's got. I mean, we, we just don't, we don't know how that's going to play out with a, with a grad transfer, I guess uh, that, you know, they're hoping is the right guy, but, uh, but you never know. And um, in Utah, again, I don't think we know. I don't think we have a really good feeling about, you know, where Utah is going to go. So, yeah, USC is in a really good shape, I think, in, in terms of quarterback. Uh, it'd be interesting if uh, something happens to Keaton now. Uh, it'll be a little more of a scramble. But, um, uh, but you got to like Keaton, and you got to like the people he's throwing to. And now you got to be able to like the – you know, the offensive line that's in front of him. But uh, one thing people keep talking about is, can he survive the Alabama game? Talking to Alabama people, and and USC people need to factor this in. This isn't the Alabama team from 2016. Uh, They didn't get much pressure on people last year, and they don't even have all those guys back. So one of the reasons they couldn't, you know, contain LSU and Joe Burrow, they couldn't get to him. And now people say, oh, that's LSU. But, uh, uh, I think there's uh, uh, I think USC's got a chance in that game because I don't know that Alabama uh, is put puts on the kind of pressure that a lot of USC fans think that's absolutely going to be there. Uh, it hasn't been uh, the last year for Alabama. Yeah. Uh, what we'll see. I mean, I think with Keen Slovis head and shoulders, I think is the best returning quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, we mentioned some of the quarterbacks that go against Dan. I, I think Curtis from Marino Valley might be mad though, that you did mention that USC didn't play against Garbers or uh, <laughs> last year. Cause he doesn't like yeah. when we talk about there was that. somebody watching out for USC in those games, to be honest, they really, you know, you have yeah. to take the good luck that came along with them. I think there was a little bit of luck there, but that's okay. Um, you know, it, USC lost their quarterbacks too. They had to make do with what they had. Um, the biggest drop off for Cal was like when they didn't have Garbers, they were just awful. Um, so I'm yes. curious to see what they do because their defense has been really good and, uh, the offense has been questionable, but Garber's, we joked on the podcast of champions, Garber's like the league MVP. Cause he just meant so much to that team when he was in there, when yeah. he was versus wasn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was two different teams when he was gone. It was over. I mean, it, that game turned around so fast. It was like, you know, it didn't even, they didn't even resemble one another, but, but in person watching him. He's good. He's really good. I really like him uh, athletically. He's 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 really talented. Yeah. Uh, all right. We, is that all we got, Keely? That's all we got. Well, we made it through again. 
tweet at Keely is my name if you feel like my views are a little too, you know. No, thank yeah. you. Keely can handle it. She can take she can take the heat, you know. It's true, uh, but don't encourage it. <laughs> we hopefully, you know, we try to have a little fun with some of this stuff. Obviously, it's a serious situation. It's it's just hard to take something seriously for month after month after month. Um, but we have, you know, we have to, we want everyone to be safe. Uh, but I think at this point I'm ready for, I'm ready for the kids to get back out there and start working out and see what they can do. So, and I think they are, they're really, yeah. ready. I think they're ready. You know, there's the Keelys of the world that just want everything shut down forever, but there's no. you know, <laughs> the rest of us just get a Keely. Hey, I did see while we were podcasting that even San Clemente High School already released their plan and dates for things. So I think I'm kind of turning on your guys' side where if, if San Clemente High School can release a plan, maybe USC should should come out with something. Yeah, I think uh, modern like, like this is a little piece of news, too. So USC's um, co- latest quarterback commit, Miller Moss from Bishop Alamany, is transferring to modern day. Um, so it started, that news started breaking this week and Greg Biggins posted a bunch on the Peristyle uh, about that. Um, so make sure you subscribe. I, I forgot to mention too, um, with any of those recruiting questions, Gerard's doing his own recruiting podcast. Now the recruiting rant podcast for a subscriber. So make sure you put your questions on the Peristyle. He'll, he'll usually post them on Monday for questions and then he'll put up the show like Tuesday or, or, or Wednesday. Um, but with Miller Moss going there, um, what, you know, one of the concerns, um, you know, Greg Biggins, there's, you know, they haven't come out and said anything specifically about the transfer, but a lot of the thought process is schools in Orange County are going to have an easier time coming back than schools in LA County. And, uh, I believe Greg Biggins said that they were starting spring practice like next week or something. So like, I think modern day is ready to come back and as, as interesting as college football is going to be and what are, what are the, the schools going to do as far as coming back or not? Guys, for high school football here in the Southland, depending on which county you live in, depending on, you know, how much, how many resources your the high school has, I, I'm I'm really curious to see what happens. Like a place like Modern Day, they're going to be business as usual, I would think. But there's other schools that just don't have the same kind of resources that might have a much harder time coming back, putting the protocols in place, the testing, things like that. I just don't know. It could be this wild disparity in high school football. So that's something I think we all have to watch. Yeah, I, I'm helping my uh, my old high school, Cincinnati St. Xavier. Uh, the coach there had one of these unbelievable years where they started out. They got crushed by uh, Bosco and the Herb Street Classic on ESPN and got everybody injured and all kinds of stuff and ended up winning five straight playoff games. And they went from four and five to winning the, the state championship in Ohio. And it's one of the most amazing seasons ever. And he's doing a book about it. And it is, so I'm talking to him. And he, in Ohio is one of the more conservative states in terms of keeping things down and all that. And yet he's got 250 kids uh, in some summer workouts already. He said, you know, for 250 kids, you got to basically go all day. But uh, but there, you know, my high school has got 250 kids in summer workouts in a conservative state about uh, testing and all that USC could come on. Let's get back. Come on. Yeah. I think we can at this point. So Ke- yeah. Keely's coming over. So we, we talked her into it. All right. <laughs> okay. Keely, aren't you worried though? What if people get sick? Like I'm just, I, you know, you're, just, you're being a little too cavalier about this. 
Okay, time to wrap up the. Plot. All right, let's wrap it up. Sorry, <laughs> okay. I could only te- tease her so much, it's but such um, a I just I like causing trouble. It's just it's, it's, it's kind of what we do Definitely here. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hope you uh, everyone out there, please stay safe. Um, do what you need to do. We appreciate you listening here on the show. Please subscribe and uh, leave us that five star rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be great too. So thank you for doing that. We appreciate you tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.